It is that time now once again For getting lumped up with my friends It's rock a mic And Rob that you should know And you'll find them here on the rock show got another special show um so this is the um, episode this is the rock show episode 135 and we are talking about a punk group called the wire oh wire wire right and uh they're one of the to me one of the most influential of the of the uk punk bands um definitely the longest lasting they're still around and they haven't changed their lineup all, all that much over the years. Um, you know, they took out two albums in 2020. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Mine High and, and 1020. Right, 1020, the last one. Um, yeah, they're still putting out stuff. I saw them live last year uh, in Brooklyn, and uh, they're out there still jamming. Um, very interesting band. They, they evolved their sound over the years, but in doing so, they kept... That punk rock core, you can hear it in the music still. Electronic now, uh, but they're just cool. I, I think they're and they're great live. Okay, and uh, a lot of energy, a lot of fun. Um, they they're kind of like Gang of Four in some ways, but uh, you know, as far as like their sound evolving to becoming more electronic, but I think they're better than Gang of Four. To be honest with you, you agree? Yeah, they're totally way better than Gang of Four. And yeah. and these guys got uh I think these guys got that album that uh what was it, Pink Flag? Pink Flag is one of the greatest albums. It's of fantastic. All time. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned. Uh if you don't have this album, Pink Flag, definitely check it out, get it, buy it, listen to it, live it. It's a you know, it's a great album, uh thirty five minutes. It's like 24 songs or something like the 21 songs. <laughs> it's and, incredible. You know, I mean, you know, they, 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 if you, if you thought the Ramones were minimalistic, they took it to like, <laughs> these guys took it to a different level. Definitely. And these guys just went from one song to another. It's like, holy shit, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and, and they, they, their lyrics are great. You know, one, two XU, that song. Yeah. Where it's like, I saw you in a mag, kissing a man, smoking a fag, kissing a man. You know, it's like, oh, shit, what the hell are they talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Very British, very British band, definitely. But uh, all right, so let's get into it, Rob. Um, Wire, they're an English punk band that was formed in London in October of 1976 by Colin Newman, who was singer and guitarist. Graham Lewis, who played bass and also sang. Bruce Gilbert on guitar. And Robert Gray, also known as Robert Go to Bed. <laughs> okay, Robert Go to Bed. <laughs> now, I guess, some, I guess his parents said that to him a lot. And he took the name. Go to Bed. How, yeah, Go to Bed, Robert. <laughs> so, like Gang of Four last week's show, uh, Wire is considered post punk and even art punk in some ways due to their richly detailed and atmospheric sounds and obscure lyrical themes. Um, This isn't like, you know, the lyrics aren't silly. 
there's a lot of depth to their lyrics. You have to listen to them really, uh, and and, and kind of get through it and listen to it. They, they 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 talk about so many different things. Now they steadily evolved in their sound from this early punk noise rock to a more complex and structured sound, using a lot of guitar effects and synthesizers by their second and third album in 1978 and 79. Uh, the band has always experimented with song arrangements pretty much from the beginning. Yeah, because they uh, got the demo as experimental rock. I was like, whoa. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of categories for them. Um, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I never liked the word art punk that much. I don't know exactly what that means. But, uh, you know, post-punk in the, in, the, in the aspect that they peaked at a time that was considered post-punk. So I get the post-punk reference. Um, you know, they're just interesting. I find them very interesting. They're kind of like a, a, a <laughs> I don't know how to say it, like a nerd, nerd punk rock in a way, you know, and not, and not saying that nerd is a bad thing, but like nerd, like it, it, they, they're kind of like a little bit different level when it comes to, I mean, they're very good musicians and they're very good songwriters and very good uh, lyric writers. And there's a lot of depth to their music that some of the other punk bands just didn't have. And of course, you know, my roots are all in that shit anyway. So I'm, yes. not, put, I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying, you know, there's, you know, there's the Sex Pistols, which was saying a lot. There's the Ramones that were saying a lot by doing a little. And they had more in common probably with the Ramones, but they... The, the lyrics were, were way more intelligent and way more uh, out there, I would say, than, than any other band. So um, their debut album, Pink Flag, which, like I said a few minutes ago, that everybody should have, was influential, especially to a lot of early hardcore punk bands. Um, the 21 songs in 35 minutes, that is something that would be more common in a couple more years after 1977. Uh when the early like, punk bands like Minor Threat, uh, Minor Threat actually, I think, covered 1-2-X-U, uh, <laughs> the Wire song. I think they did that, if I remember right. And um, they always cited Wire as an influence. And a lot of, a lot of the early 80s punk bands did. You know? so, but Mike, um, these guys got that song, uh, what is it, uh, Field Day for Sunday? Yeah. It's, it's only 28 seconds long. 28 seconds long. <laughs> I mean... Guys like me with ADD, that's perfect, you know. And it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have no no attention span, it's great, you know. Um, now, they they basically stripped the rock and roll down even further than the Ramones for that kind of stuff. You know, if you're talking like a 29-second song, you know what I mean? So acts like Minor Threat and even the, the Minutemen later on, uh, Henry Rollins from Black Flag – They've all cited the album Pink Flag as an influence. Um, the band was on the label Harvest Records, uh, which was kind of like the progressive experimental label that EMI put out. Now, if you remember a few weeks back, we did a, I guess it was maybe a few months ago already, we did that show on Sid Barrett from yeah. Pink Floyd. He was one of the first acts ever on Harvest a few years earlier. Um, they brought Harvest Records brought in producer Mike Thorne to produce them for this album. And Thorne was a journeyman in the music business. He worked as a music journalist. He was an A&R guy. Uh, and by the late 70s, he had started record producing. Okay, Now, prior to Wire, uh, 
He worked with Roger Daltrey and John Cale. Okay. Uh, later on, he would go to work with Nina Hagen, Laurie Anderson, uh, Soft Cell. He produced the original number one version of the Gloria Jones song, Tainted Love. Okay. He produced that. Uh, but by the year 77, he was ready to cut his teeth in a punk band. Okay. And that would be Wire. All right. Wow. Yeah. Now, despite the originality of Pink Flag, it didn't sell well at all. Um, 12XU was a single. Uh, didn't chart mu- too much. Very low on the charts, but I think it's hung on as one of the best UK punk singles ever. Okay. Uh, but when, when Pink Flag didn't really sell, they decided to experiment a little bit. And uh, this became 1978's album, Chairs Missing. Now, this album still featured some of the minimalism of Pink Flag, but it also featured more developed song structures. And it took a lot of influence from progressive rock and psychedelia as well. Uh, they brought in keyboards and synthesizers. That was uh, Mike Thorne's idea for some tracks. And the title of the album, Chairs Missing, is interesting. Okay, do you know, do you know what it means? No, what does it mean? Okay, in, in England... If someone says there's chairs missing, it means like, you know, you're a little crazy. Like that guy has a few chairs missing from his front room. <laughs> okay. Like, you know, like you're not playing with a full deck. Yeah. Okay? So that's what, that's how they got the name. Um, the second single off the album was Outdoor Minor. And that was a minor hit. It, it reached number 51. And uh, they finally had a little bit of some chart success. But the first single off the album I Am The Fly has turned out to be, I think, the, the long-lasting classic off that album, I Am The Fly. Okay, it didn't do well when it was released first, but over the years, it's, it's, it's stayed as one of the best. Now, this album was a little bit longer, 42 minutes with 15 songs, as most of the tracks are in the kind of two, three, four, and even five-minute range, uh, which was quite different from the song structure they did on Pink Flag. Uh, yeah, it was very different. Very different. Um, Wire's third album, and I think th- this one's called 154. And, and I think that for any of our fans listening, um, if you're not familiar with this band, these are the three albums you want to get. You want to get Pink Flag, Chairs Missing, and 154. And then, then get into some of the later stuff. Because these three are, are necessary, really, for any good, solid, well-rounded uh, if you have these three, you're, you're, you're tops. So why did they call it one one five four? You know that they, they they called it one five four because up to that point they had played one hundred and fifty four gigs. <laughs> All right. Yeah. That's so cool. they decided to call the album that. So Mike Thorne was brought in again. Okay. So this is his third album now with them, um, and the experimentation was stretched much farther for this nineteen seventy nine album. They experimented with slower tempo songs, okay, longer, fuller song structures, longer songs, and more guitar effects and synths and electronics. So 154 peaked at number 39, all right, on the UK album charts. And it was their oh, highest position. Yeah, it was their highest position that the band has achieved. Okay. Now, the original vinyl release was accompanied by an EP of four extra tracks, uh, which was something that this band did a lot through its history. They, they threw in 
a lot of bonus material for the fans. You know, you'd buy the album, there'd be an EP inside of a couple extra songs. So I always think that, you know, they really, they really looked out for their fans a lot. They gave a lot of extras. Um, they tried to be different and, and do different things. A lot of bands, you know, weren't going to do that. Well, maybe they didn't have the money to do it, but these guys did. These guys did, you know. Um, now, 1979, at that point, after 154 came out, was a tough time for the band because uh, they were doing pretty well uh, sales-wise. The shows were great, but there was a lot of creative differences happening within the band, and it kind of led to a breakup. Now, uh, it would, yeah, it would be the fr- it would be what was known as the band's first creative period. This band broke up a couple of times and got back together. All right. Yeah, because I see, I say that you got 1976 to 1980, 1985 to 92, and then 99 to the present. Right, right. And um, there will be a couple small lineup changes in, in those years, but most of the time they stuck to the core band. Now, when they broke up, they had, I guess, obligations to put out records. So they put out a double live album, all right, when it was released originally. It was a double live record called Document and Eyewitness. Now, the first half of the recording are live tracks from the Notre Dame Hall in London uh, that was recorded in uh, July 1979. Now, the band played almost all new material on that from 154, and they neglected their older material as they felt they wanted to keep moving forward. And this was something. This is something that, I, I, you know, I'm not sure if it's something within the band members that they argued about. You know, whether to do old songs or not. Uh, but what I've noticed with Wire is they really, they really kind of don't do uh, stuff that's that's old. When they have an album, they do like the whole album. Okay, and then they might do one or two old songs, but they really like I saw them last year and they they didn't do any old stuff. It was all stuff from like, you know, 80, 83 and and forward. You know, they didn't really do the stuff from the 70s, which in some ways is disappointing. You got to kind of like different periods of the band to appreciate that. You know, if you just like the old stuff, they really don't do it anymore, which is a shame. But. Hey, look, that's that's how they do it, you know. Yeah, that's um, kind of weird. You always think people will go back to like some of the older stuff just because you know what? That's what people like. And yeah, I'd love it. to ask them why they, you know, why they do that, but uh, it must just be. If you want to, you know, on coach, people yeah, will come in. What, 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 what happened is at this Notre Dame show that they were recording, okay, they did a 15 second version of 12XU. 15 seconds and, and the fucking audience went crazy and like bottles were thrown around and shit. They were pissed <laughs> off. Okay. You could hear like a bottle smashing, you know, during the song. Now tracks eight and nine uh, were called heartbeat and five tenths, like a, like a fraction, five tenths. Uh, MC, it was called five tenths MC request, uh, request spot actually. Uh, that was from a French show at the Montreux. Okay. In France. And the rest of the tracks are from the Electric Ballroom in London. Now, the tracks Midnight Banhoff Cafe and Our Swimmer 
were originally released as a single on Rough Trade, and they were the ones who put this album out as well, Rough Trade label. Um, between 81 and 85, Wire was not active. They ceased recording and performing. There was, there was nothing for those four years. Now, Colin Newman had several solo efforts, including projects like Dome and Duet M.O. And then in 1985, the band would reform as they, they called themselves a beat combo which was a joking reference to the early 60s beat music. <laughs> yeah. Now, however, the band was actually now much more electronic. Okay? They, they also announced that they wouldn't be playing older material, and they did something that I don't think any band has ever done, and I think if, 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 if another band's done it, let me know who, but they didn't want to play older material. So when they were going to go out on tour... They hired a wire cover band called the, <laughs> called the X-Lion Tamers, which is a name of a song of Pink Flag. And they toured with them, and they would go on first and do all the old shit, and then Wire would come out and do the new shit that they wanted to, they wanted to play. Okay? So I, I don't know anybody that's ever done that. I think that that is fan, you know, it's freaking hilarious. You know what I mean? Do you know what was the name of the cover band they got? Yeah, the X. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, that's the name of a, a Pink Flag song. They took they took a name. Yeah, off. I kind of heard that. That you say that, I'm like, wait up. What's the name of the band again? <laughs> <laughs> that's did a great you, name for. A did band. you take some drugs between the shows today? What's what's the matter with no. you? No. Oh, okay. But just I just show. that's a great name, X Line Tamer. That's that's the name of the song of the song off of the Pink Flag. Yeah, I know yeah, that, it's, but it's, it's hilarious. But, you take that for a name of a band. I still think that's an incredible name. Yeah, it is. It is. Like ex-Lion Tamer. It's like he's not a lion tamer anymore. Yeah. <laughs> now, and it, you know it, the reference, like a backward smack that we're not playing our whole shit. Yeah, yeah. So they hire <laughs> them, and then they play what they want. You know, it's, you know, it's cool. Now, in June of 1988, uh, Wire was part of a show featuring OMD, which was orchestral maneuvers in the dark that band uh thomas dolby and depeche mode and they played the the rose bowl in pasadena that's okay. huge in front of sixty thousand people probably the biggest show they ever played wire at that point and i actually remember seeing that on tv i i did watch some of that i remember that pretty well um wire was was mostly electronic at that point okay since they returned in 85 and they had released two LPs in 1987 and 88, an album called The Ideal Copy and an album called A Bell is a Cup Until It Struck. All right. And they brought in producer Gareth Jones to do both these LPs. Now, A Bell is a Cup Until It Struck is, is considered to be their most pop-sounding record. Um, you know, when, when I was researching and I, I had in a hundred years, I put it on and uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I agree that it's a, a pop record. They have, they have some songs on there like kidney bingo. Okay. Which is like, you know, some of the titles of their songs are fucking nuts. Kid, yeah. Kid, the titles kid, are like kidney bingo. Okay. And uh, very catchy. So in that sense, it is a pop record. The songs are very catchy, but they're very um, 
you know, electronic sounding, but yet like this kind of like this kind of menacing punk sound underneath. Very, very unique, especially at that time. Okay, 1987. So, um, in yeah, 1987, would it take a lot more new wave like in 1987? Well, new wave was already over. Okay, they, they, uh, what was in 87, the metal, hair metal bands were big. Yeah, that's know, what and a lot of like, a lot of like, uh, dancey, new wavey kind of shit out of England. Uh, that. you know, Bronsky beat, you know, Erasure and bands like that. Depeche Mode, you know, that was, that was big. Um, uh, but, uh, they, they were different than that though. They, they didn't fall on that. They, Wire is a, is a category in itself. You know, you can hear its influences in certain things. The later stuff is, is a little, you know, is a lot different than the earliest stuff, but I prefer the, the first three albums to me, you know, but the, some of the later stuff does have some very interesting things. Now there was a song, um, well, let me uh, let me just mention that in 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 May of '89, they released their sixth studio album called "It's Beginning to and Back Again." Now it was called Ibtaba or I B T A B A. Okay, like they make like an acronym, and half of the album consists of reinterpretations of live performances they did off the Bell Is a Cup album. So in other words, they they you know when you play live you tend to change the songs a little bit. They actually went and recorded those changes on another album. So kind of interesting. Very, they're very completist, they seem to be, Wire. Like very yeah, like, you know, they want to get everything down on tape. That's, that's what they remind me of, like that. Now, there was a song called Eardrum Buzz, and it was a new track that they had done on that tour, and it wasn't on the Bell is a Cup album, but they put it, on the uh, the Ibtaba album, and uh, it, it basically uh, they did live shows in Chicago, Portugal, London. They were touring all over the place when this came out, uh, and that song "Eardrum Buzz" was the band's most successful single in their history, hitting number two on the Billboard Modern Rock charts in that year. Okay, so 1989. So they that was probably their peak as far as popularity and selling selling records and stuff like that um in 1990 wire came out with the album manscape and it was their seventh studio album it was produced by david m allen who's known for working with a lot of like synth pop and goth bands i think he worked with sisters of mercy they're a goth band okay the eardrum buzz was a new track off this album that uh, they had been working on. Uh, it wasn't on the album, The Bell is a Cup. Okay. Um, but it turned out that when they released it as a single, it became their most successful single in their history. It hit number two on the Billboard Modern Rock, tra- rock Tracks wow. that year in 1989. Yeah. So they kind of peaked as, you know, their popularity in that year. Uh, again, their sound was very different, though, from, from early years. But uh, very cool. Uh, Idrum Buzz is a cool song. Now, in 1990, they released the album Manscape, and it was their seventh studio album. It was produced by David M. Allen, who was known for working with a lot of synth pop and goth bands, uh, including Sisters of Mercy, who we're going to be doing a show on in a few weeks. Um, you know what's album- funny? That Manscape is such a thing now. 
manscaping. Yeah, they're kind of prophetic, right? Who ever heard that word before? How crazy is that? Yeah, but that you used that people used that. Oh, I manscape. It's something that they use now all the time for you know guys that shave their fucking balls. Yeah, shave the, shave all the hair off their bodies. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know if it meant that back then. I got no idea. If that That's was pretty funny. That. Yeah, that is funny. Now, um, most of this album, Manscape, was recorded at the RAK Studios in London. Uh, the album was more electronic than anything else they had done, um, and basically, they the, the bass and drums were mostly sequenced, meaning they used machines. Yeah. Okay. Now, tracks like The Morning Bell were about the British public school system. And then there was a song called Small Black Reptile, which was about British politics. Um, The last track on the album, uh, You Hung Your Lights in the Trees slash A Craftsman's Touch, was just over 10 minutes long. All right. Now, so that was quite a contrast to early material they did with 29 second songs now i think they did that a lot they started some of the songs started getting longer yeah they did yeah even with even by the third album um one five four and the second album they were starting to get like five minutes you know and then this was just all out long 10 minute song um now robert gray who we all know as robert go to bed the drummer yeah he he (laughs) left he left wire after the release of this album and I think it was really because of the use of drum machines. I think he felt that, you know, he hadn't have a place in the band. Okay, so you know, he he didn't like that direction they were going. Why be in the band if you if if, if you're just going to use a machine? You know, you want to play. I get that. You know, so he left, and what they did was they changed their name. It was still pronounced Wire, but they dropped the E, so it was W I R. Okay, and they just left the E off. And they released one album like that um, in October 1991 called The First Letter. Uh, They used the drum machine for this record as well. Okay, so it was just the three guys. Um, The only single they would release off this would be a song called So and Slow It Grows. Okay, the band would break up again right after this, and this time it would be for eight years uh, yeah, it was, crazy. It was, yeah, it was a period of a lot of solo projects. They were doing all different things. All band, all band members had different solo projects at the time. But in 1999, the band would return again with Robert Go to Bed. Okay, but this time he wasn't using that name. He just was using his regular name, Robert yeah, Gray. Robert Gray. Yeah. So they did a show in 2000 at the Royal Festival Hall. And what they did is they reworked some of their back catalog for the show. So they did kind of like new versions of stuff that was early material. Um, they did a short U.S. tour, which I was lucky enough to see, and some U.K. gigs, and they were well-received, which made them, you know, really want to carry on. They, they felt even going into the 2000s, they, uh, they were still viable and they could still draw a crowd. Uh, that was uh, one of two times that I've seen them. Uh, the second time was, was last year. But uh, 2002 saw Wire release two new EPs. Uh, They were called Read and Burn, number one, and Read and Burn, number two. All right. The EPs, these harkened back to like an early sound. Okay. But the way they did it, it was almost, it it was in a digital context. It was electronic, but it had this like 
you know, punk sound, you know, gnarly kind of growling sound underneath it. And this was, an, these were EPs. There was only a couple of songs each on these albums. And they came out, uh, I believe, in May and October of, of 2002. Then they would come out with the album Send. Okay, and that came out in May of 2003. It was the first LP to feature the original lineup again. All right, and it had few tracks. It had a few tracks from Read and Burn 1 and 2 with four new songs. So it was kind of like a full album with the EP with a couple of new songs on top of it. Uh, but they did, a lot, they did that a lot. They would release a bunch of EP and then they would just release like an album. Like They were recording all the time. Right, but what they would do is it, it wasn't necessarily the same version. They would, re- they they would, would just redo, redo it. it. They would redo yes. it. So, you know, again, this is something that you know, in a way, it's clever because if you if you want to sell records, this is one way to get everybody to buy because it's like, okay, I don't have that version. I want that version. You know, I got to have the whole thing. So, you know, fans are like that. When you're into a band, if there's two versions of the same song and you love the band, you're going to buy both. You know, so commercially, that was a smart move. But I think it was more of a creative thing. You know what I'm saying, Rob? Hello? Yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So um, the third Read and Burn EP would come out in 2007, a few years later. They would do another EP called Read and Burn. Uh, Bruce Gil- call, Do you know why they called it Read and Burn? I think, <laughs> it, I think it has to do with the, the, the concept of reading a CD and burning a CD. Oh. Just a guess. Okay. okay. If you think about what was going on in the early 2000s, yeah. you know, burning CDs and, you know, remember Napster and all that shit. Yeah, you know, yeah, those yeah. Things, that you know. Right. So Bruce Gilbert left Wire in 2004. And uh, even though he had left, he contributed a little bit to the third Read and Burn installment. Um, but in January 2011, the band released Red Bark Tree. Okay. Uh, and new guitarist Matt Sims was featured on this young guy okay, that they took in a band. Uh, he had been doing live shows with Wyatt since the previous year in 2010. Now, the 11 tracks on this album covered a wide, diverse range of musical styles, and it was received very well by the critics. Uh, Colin Newman actually produced this album himself. Um, and one thing, too, about the critics is they always loved Wyatt. Pretty much. Uh, They never really turned on them. Uh, Some of their albums didn't sell as good as others. uh, But as far as the critics, the critics always loved this band. Um, They would come out with their 13th album called Change Becomes Us. And it was released on March 25th, 2013. The album featured songs based on ideas for live performances that they had back in 1979 and 1980. Okay, so they were, there was tracks like uh, Doubles and Trebles, Keep Exhaling, and Reinvent Your Second Wheel. They had its roots back in early demos from those years of 79 and 80. So they, they actually you know, went into the vaults, looked at some older material that they had kind of pieces of. Sometimes bands have pieces of things recorded, you know, and they, they make something out. So the album was very well received critically. Again, this was a pretty good album. Um, their 14th and 15th albums would be coming out soon. 
there was the self-titled Wire album, and then the Nocturnal Koreans album, which came out in 2016. And that, and that was the, on their record label. Yeah, they, I was going to say, they, they put it out on their own label called Pink Flag Records, okay? And, uh, which, I, great name. And in 2017, they celebrated their 40 years in existence by, by releasing their 16th studio album, Silver Slash Lead, okay? And they ended up headlining the Los Angeles edition of the Drill Festival, okay, wow. which was a pretty cool festival. So they're, they're, they're very prolific, constantly putting out material. Now, by January 24th of 2020, they released Mind Hive, all right? This was right before the pandemic started. And it was a brand new album on their Pink Flag label. And in March 2020, they were supposed to come out on Record Store Day with an eight-song album called 1020. Yeah. But it ended up being held back, okay? Um, these, the 1020 was going to be unreleased tracks from the Red Barked Tree album and Mind Hive. Yeah. But it remained unreleased for a few months until it finally came out in June of 2020 of that year. I guess it was delayed because of the pandemic or something like that. Yeah, they should have actually oh. released it at 1020, I told you. Yeah, that would have made sense, right? I don't know what the... Yeah. I, I think it... I think the 1020 is, the, is supposed to be the time, not the date. Because okay. it's, ten, it's 10 colon 20, you know, like the, like you, like the way you yeah, write out. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know what's another thing that's interesting? They, a lot of these guys left and came back because pretty much the same band, but they would take breaks. Yeah, I, you know, maybe they get sick of each other every five, ten years and they need a break. You yeah, know, I, I mean, if you're around for 40 years, you know, it's, yeah. that's, you know, shit happens. You're like family, you know, sometimes you just don't feel like seeing each other. Um, that, that's amazing. Now, in March of last year, um, they did their last shows uh, since, the, since the pandemic. They haven't played anything yet. Uh, but I, I did read somewhere that there, there's talk of, something this year possibly coming out or maybe even touring. Um, they, the last shows they played was at the Brooklyn in Brooklyn at the Williamsburg Music Hall. And I was lucky to go to that. Me and my wife went and uh, they really did like more of the later material uh, with a couple of older songs, but they didn't go back to really anything off of Pink Flag, which I was kind of hoping they would. Yeah, how funny is that they named the fucking um, record label uh, Pink, Pink Flag, Flag, but they don't play any songs. But they don't play Pink any Flag. songs. Everything about this band is like a contradiction. You know what I mean? It's like they're like a walking contradiction. It's like an oxymoron. Like, yeah, that's true. That's true. So that's all I got for you today about Wire. I hope you liked it, Rob. Yeah, it was pretty good, man. You know what? But I, I just say that um, I heard some of the other stuff that they play, and I was like, uh yeah, I, I don't really care for that electronic stuff. I hate to say that. Yeah, it's it's an acquired taste. I like some of it, okay, but I, I really, to me, this band, the, the the their first three albums. I think most people would agree with that. But I know I know some fans that are very big on the on the later stuff. My brother loves Wire. He likes everything by them. You know what it is? They got like 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 they they take like four five like they'll have about. One song is really catchy out of that, but it's still direct for the. It's hard. It's hard to listen to. That's, that's yeah. just my opinion. No, no, and I, I get it. I get it. It's something that, uh, you know, you got to just get into, you know, and delve into it, really listen yeah. to it. Be into that and try it. Like, holy. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, Wire definitely influenced like 80s industrial music. Oh, okay. Oh. You know, you could, you know, you could, it's not a far stretch. Okay. Um, stuff they were doing in the mid 80s influenced the things like Nine Inch Nails later on and stuff yeah. like that. Oh, I can Absolutely. Totally see that. Yeah. And even, even some goth stuff that came out. Uh, you know, alien sex fiend and bands like that, uh, you know, with that heavy electronic sound, but with a still a guitar sound, you know, it's definitely influenced by it. Mike, you know what you're going to probably have to bring back soon? Um, start giving tour date because most shows are being appeared. What people are going to play soon? Yeah, I guess we'll have to do some tour dates like we were doing early on. Yeah. yeah so, cause you know, well, uh, cause we do this, uh, show so it's coming out in September. So, I know you always get two days ahead of time anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I don't have anything for Wire, uh, but I'll, I'll put some stuff together for the next show for some other bands, and we'll see. Uh, yeah. The next show we're doing is on the Lunar Chicks. Yeah. And I'm really going to put a good show together for that. They had a book come out about them recently called uh, Fallopian Rhapsody. <laughs> which is which great name, and uh, I'm looking to, looking forward to doing that show to go in depth about the Lunar Chicks. Uh, I hope they come back, but because of the book, I would love to see them again. They were great live. Yep, yep, yep. And um, we're definitely uh, moving forward. We, we're you know we're getting uh, as popular as ever. We were um, we were at top of the chart in uh, Sweden just not too long ago. Yeah, well, we, we did it a couple of times in Sweden. And in the we U.S., we broke the, um, we broke the, um, we broke, we went into the, uh, we broke into the 150, the 200 pop again. We always break into the 200, but you understand, in the United States. Yeah, very hard. 500,000 podcasts. Yeah, yeah. But I want to, I, I want to break that, I want to break that top 100. Just get, give me somewhere in the 90s. Yeah, so, but for us to go that far with that many podcasts and we hit 153, it's pretty good, you got to say. Yeah, it is. It is. And thank you for everybody listening. You we couldn't have done it without you. So, Mike, how can people reach you if they uh, needed to send you an email or talk to you about, ask some questions? Well, about, you, can uh, find me, you can find me on Instagram, RockerMike212. Uh, you can find me on CloutHub and MeWe. Those are two alternative sites. Uh, social medias. I'm under Rocker Mike on those. And uh, if you're looking for me on Facebook, I'm under Rocco Mike, R O C C O Mike. And also, you have the Rock Show podcast group page with Rocker Mike and Rob Rossi. And uh, that site is now over a thousand members. We're moving up. People uh, put up stuff all the time. Also. Yeah, we get. We got a couple. We got a couple of. Uh, couple more people adding a lot of stuff to uh there's that guy his name is yes sir i can boogie oh yeah yeah he puts up good pictures and everything of of a lot of bands and artists and stuff you know what so we should do anytime we get new members we should try to see if we could get some kind of this and give him a shout out because people would like that yeah yeah i think we'll do that dan scott also posts quite a bit we've mentioned yeah, dan him a few scott. Times. uh oh wow the top of my head, you know, I'm, I'm always posting two or three things a day, so check it out. It's pretty impressive. Um, and your boy Jeff got a film festival coming up, I saw. Yeah, Jeff Wengrovsky, uh, he's in something called Mr. Sister. Yeah. All right, that's, com- that's coming out uh, 
When is it coming out? Is it this you know week? Is, I got to look. I got to look. It's a, it's on, it was on Facebook. I, I know it's yeah, Facebook. It, it, it might be, it might be already test. out. Yeah, it might be already out by the time we have yeah. this up. We'll try to give him a shout out on the on the Facebook page. Yeah, definitely. Because he tagged us in the thing. That's why. That's the reason. I saw I that. Out. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. So uh, where can we find you, Mr. Rossi? Now you can find me anything getting lumped up. Um, if you look it up, people, you're going to find me in um, anything. Facebook. Um, Jesus Instagram. Christ. Instagram. Um, the, the page, the, the, the actual uh, web page, uh, Getting Lumped Up. Uh, also, you can find our we- a website, Getting Lumped Up. And another thing that you can find us is, is on uh, YouTube, Getting right. Lumped Up also. The Getting Lumped Up channel on and, YouTube. Subscribe and like it. Yeah, uh, I think I think we also got to do a few shows that we just do for the YouTube channel. Yeah, we might do that. We might you do know, that. like so people can just go more into YouTube and uh, see it. But but that's doing good. It's growing more and more. And um, I didn't. You see, I put out a new dig in. Yeah, very good. Saw that. Yeah. yeah. Um, chicken sandwich. Yeah. So guys, um, thank you for all your support. And like we always do on the show, don't get drunk. Get lumped up. And we'll see you next week. Take care, people. The only podcast you will hear That will be music to your ear You'll learn about bands you love or may not know and it's only here on The Rock Show